you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth i could not be more excited that spring is almost here Outside my storefront, people are no longer wearing their coats. They're strolling by with their dogs. It's amazing. I think, even though not all the snow has melted, I think spring is right around the corner. I'm so excited. Uh, In the vein of that enthusiasm, I'm also very excited because we had lots of wonderful emails come in this week with questions. And if you have questions, of course, send them to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. You can always join us live on Facebook. Hi, Erica. Good to see you. And you can post your questions right here. I'll answer them live. You can leave them on our page. There's so many ways to contact us, and our mailbag is getting light. So if you send me your question, chances are I'll be able to get to it ASAP. Speaking of ASAP, we have a question that came in a while ago about sectional sofas. I'm going to dive right in. Betsy, I am curious for your thoughts on sectional couches. Do you have any rules about those? We have this teeny tiny but handsome pottery barn couch in our current house. So I want the new couch in our new house to be big enough for all five of us, which is two adults, two kids, and a dog. We want to lounge and enjoy it together. Our new family room is about 19 feet by 19 feet. And we have a stacked stone fireplace with a TV mounted above it. I know how you feel about this. We also have cedar beams on the ceiling, and the window will look out onto a covered porch. Let me know what you think. First of all, I think your space is gorgeous. Thank you for including those pictures. They really help to illuminate the problem. And let me answer your question about sectionals. I love a sectional. I myself have a family of five, two adults, two kids, one dog, and we all love to be together without necessarily being on top of each other or touching. I need my personal space. And that's what a sectional affords. It affords you all to be on the same piece of furniture while not having to touch like you might have to do if you were all lined up on a sofa. Additionally, kids do not like to sit in armchairs. When I'm watching TV, I don't like to sit in an armchair. I want to be cozy on the couch. And so that's how you can get away with having a big family 
and having seating that everybody feels comfortable in that's sectional. You can still probably have room, especially in a big room like this, for additional chairs, but that sectional is really that primary seating on which you want to look at the primary focal points. In your case, it's the fireplace and the TV. And the exciting thing about a sectional, speaking of focal points, is that each arm looks in a different direction. It's an L shape. So if I'm seated on one arm, I can clearly see one focal point, but if I'm seated on the other, I can see another. In your case, that secondary focal point might be the view to the porch, or it might be the view to the hallway, but it's whatever you want that other person sitting on that other arm to be looking at. In a lot of people's spaces, their TVs are not above the fireplace. Their TVs are on another wall that's not the fireplace wall. And that is another perfect reason for a sectional so that you have a vantage point of both focal points, even though they're not on the same wall. Now, the problem with a sectional, even though you seem like a very good candidate and I totally sanction this purchase for you, but the problem with a sectional for a lot of people is that they're renting. So they're not sure how long they're going to be in this space. And not all sectionals fit all spaces. For instance, if you get a sectional that has a right arm facing sectional, well, it may not fit in your next space where you wish you would have purchased that left arm facing. Very few sectionals are equidistant, meaning that each arm is the same length, and very few sectionals are reversible, meaning the short arm can be on one side or the other. When you specify that that's something that you need, you severely limit both the style of sectional that you're going to have as well as the price point. And sectionals can be expensive. They're such a large piece of furniture, it's like paying for a sofa and two armchairs in one go. So you want to make sure that you're going to be in the space long enough to make it worth it for you. Additionally, if your kids are messy, if your dog is messy, it's going to get a lot more wear and tear. And that investment, that high money piece, is going to really take a licking and maybe not last as long as you wish that it would for the price point. Those are my reservations about a sectional. Also, sectionals are big. I mean, they're usually pretty massive. They're usually the biggest visual element in the room other than the carpet. And... Because of that, they can kind of take over, especially in small spaces, especially with apartment living. You want to make sure that the scale of your room can handle the scale of a sectional. And there are smaller scale sectionals at places like Macy's, Room and Board, but most places have those big overstuffed behemoths that we think about, especially places like Restoration Hardware, Raymore and Flanagan, even Pottery Barn. They tend to be bulkier, even though they're quite comfortable. There's lots of considerations to think about when you are considering a sectional. But those are some of my top tips for sectional shopping. And I hope they've helped you because in your situation, I think it does make sense. It concerns me because right opposite that TV and fireplace wall, you have a um, pass-through to the kitchen that also has a bar lip. So there's supposed to be stools under there, which means anytime you have an area where you need bar stools, you need three-inch clearance behind that to pull out your stool without hitting another piece of furniture or the rug. And I'm concerned by the time we subtract that three feet and subtract the space between the fireplace front and the hearth, on the ground, I'm concerned that you don't have a ton of depth to mount your TV above. Now you're showing me pictures of the model home you put in your notes. 
and the model home has the TV beside the fireplace so that way it can be at lower eye level which I do feel is more appropriate for this room. That's my two cents. Let me go to a question that's just come in from Erica. Erica asks, any tips or things to avoid when designing a family photo gallery wall? My general tip for creating that gallery wall is that if you're using all one color of frame, all black frames, all white frames, all wood tone frames, all metal frames, then your pictures could be color because that will add that contrast, differentiation, visual interest. However, if all your frames are different, if you've amassed them over time and some are black, some are white, some are you know, all these different color finishes and textures, then I would recommend that all your photos be sepia tone or black and white so that the frames really stand out and the photos more recede into the background. That's my tip. You also know that for gallery walls, I do love an uneven number. I guess the shorter way of saying that is I like an odd number. An odd number of frames is always going to be more visually compelling than an even number because when we see an even number of frames, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, we expect some sort of symmetry. But when we see an odd number of frames, we know that it's going to be a more organic feel. And that's what a gallery wall really calls for if it's not going to be structured into rows and columns. What's something else? Oh, yeah, here's a big one. I do like you to put this gallery wall in a place that will not get bumped. I hate it when people hang gallery walls in tight hallways where, first of all, you can't even get this perspective to stand back and see the configuration and see the unique visual of a gallery wall. But secondly, when I'm walking down that hallway with a basket of laundry or a pile of board games, I'm going to be hitting those picture frames and it's going to make Make them twist and turn and skew on their little nail. And a gallery wall where the pictures aren't straight is an eyesore. If you do already have a gallery wall in a tight hallway, I recommend putting little 3M strips in the corners. That way it doesn't leave a hole. But also it helps to anchor the corners so that the frames aren't moving when and if they get bumped. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right, let's get to my next question, which has come in this week. And it is from, drum roll please, 
Appy. Appy writes, Betsy, every time I finish designing a space, the homeowners always want to change their TVs after a few months. Here in India, we have concrete walls and it is not easy to drill a hole for the wiring. We always have to do the cementing and the plastering after the wires are concealed into the wall. Please give us a solution or a quick fix to hide the ugly wiring for the set top box and the router. Thank you, Appy. First of all, Appy, you included a picture and it is wild. There are so many wires between the telephones, the routers, the Apple TVs, the TV itself. And boy, oh boy, even in the United States, do we know about concrete walls. Even though typically the texture of walls here is sheetrock, something that's hollow and you can easily drop the cords behind, many of us have older style homes. And I myself have plaster walls, which while not as hard as concrete, certainly are very difficult to conceal wires within. I wouldn't say in the United States or certainly my experience with my clients that they're changing out their TVs that often. But what's happening in my home (laughs) and maybe in homes like yours, Appy, with all these wires is that my husband is constantly adding game systems. So basically what you can do in concrete walls or plaster walls is you can drill a channel into that wall. You can put the cords in some kind of tubing and then you can cover up that channel that you created with more plaster or more concrete and then paint over it, right? But if you ever have a problem with your TV, if you ever want to put a new TV in there, if you ever want to add 10 million playstations like my husband it's very hard to get back into that wiring you almost have to open up that channel again to install a new something or other what we have done unfortunately in my house is that my husband plugs in his playstation externally which means that i've sunk all these cords in and I sunk a lot of money into sinking those cords in by the way and now we perpetually have one or two cords that are floating in front of our fireplace that are floating um, right under the tv that link to the television that drive me crazy basically like a spider web on crack because I paid so much money to have this all done properly and then my husband wants the latest xyz box or whatever so What I would recommend in this circumstance, and certainly in your circumstance, is an external way to conceal these cords. Now, in the United States, they make lots of cord covers that basically fit over your cords, and you can paint it the same color as the wall behind, so it feels inconspicuous, even though it is visible. Um... That's one way to go about it. And I think it makes the most sense for your clients only because you don't want to have to be drilling so many holes into this concrete. In fact, oftentimes for people with concrete or plaster walls, I don't even recommend hanging the TV. I recommend keeping the TV on something like a TV stand or a console and putting those implements inside the console. That way it visually controls the chaos, but you don't have the commitment of I'm always going to be using this router. I'm always going to be using this cable company. I'm always going to be using this Xbox. It allows you some freedom without having to impact the integrity of the architecture. Because once you do drill a channel into plaster or drill a channel into concrete, it does somewhat infect 
the integrity, unlike doing something in sheetrock, which you can easily patch, which is hollow and much more forgiving. So Appy, I hope that helped. Keep us posted on how that works for your clients. And let's get to my next question. While I do, I see Jen has joined us. Hi, Jennifer. I miss you. One of my friends from Brooklyn who moved to Connecticut, we all go to our separate suburbs and wonder how each other are doing. So it's so nice to see each other on social, if not in person. A tear just went down my face. All right. This next question comes from Jamie. And Jamie writes, Betsy, I received your new book last week and I love the photos and the design of it. I have a short question about the Skittles effect. I have two kids who eagerly picked out their room colors for our new build home in Phoenix. Bare pink elephant for my daughter and fresh guacamole for my son. We will be doing a beige bears frittata for the hallway, living room, bathroom, and reading nook. Down the hall is the master suite with an ensuite that has an arched doorway leading from the bedroom to the bathroom with no door and bull-nosed corners. The room is huge. Light is never a problem here in the land of eternal sunshine. As a result, we are considering going bold with a paint color, navy or even blue teal. With bull-nosed corners and no door, we may need to carry that color into the bathroom. Or do we? There's plenty of light, but I wonder if that might be too much of such a bold color. Or would it be striking? Also, that would be four colors on one floor, and in your book, you mention only three to avoid the Skittles effect. Although I think I remember a previous podcast in which children's rooms were not really included in this rule because they changed their minds and it needs to be playful. But maybe I made that up out of hope. Any advice you could give for us would be so helpful. Thank you for your insight. All right, Jamie, I do have advice, and you have a couple of different questions in here, so I'll address the first one first. What I meant by the Skittles effect is that you should only have three colors at a max. And really by colors, I mean two true colors that are different, say a gray beige and a blue, and one that is a shade of one of the previous colors, either lighter than one of those previous colors or darker than one of those previous colors. Those are the three hues you may have on one floor. Now that's only if those rooms are open to each other, if there's no doorways. If there are doorways, like I'm sure that there are to your children's rooms and even to your master, doors that you can shut so that when I'm looking at the space, I'm not seeing all those colors at once, well, then the world is your oyster. Go ahead and use frittata and elephant and guacamole. This podcast is making me hungry. Go ahead and use those vibrant colors in the different rooms because you can easily shut the door. I meant stick to three hues in those open concept spaces. So many of us have those open spaces where the foyer bleeds into the hallway, bleeds into the kitchen, bleeds into the living room and dining room, and there's no delineation like a door. And in those cases, I don't want you using a different color for the foyer, a different color for the living room, a different color for the dining room, because I can easily see all those rooms from one vantage point. It's very open. And that's extremely common in this day and age. But even I, who have an older home built in 1913, I have a somewhat open concept where even though the rooms are quite separate, they don't have doors. And so from the living room, I see the foyer, the hallway, and the dining room all at one clip. That's what I meant by the Skittles effect. So hopefully that alleviated your concerns. I am totally fine with you going nuts with these paint colors. That being said, leads me to the second question about this navy bedroom and bath. You know that I don't like 
a strong colored bathroom, something that's quite dark or even something that's a Roy G. Biv color, a color found in the rainbow in a bathroom because I'm going to be applying my makeup there and I want to have a true representation of what I actually look like. Now, this is very different in a guest bath or a place where I'm not actively applying makeup or I'm not getting out of the shower, putting on clothes, trying to assess how I actually look. In a guest room, it's a much more casual experience in that guest bathroom, and you can make that bolder choice. But in a master bath where I'm getting ready every single day, I want something where I can actually tell what I'm looking like. And I would recommend a neutral in that bathroom. That being said, you don't have a clear cutoff between the master and the bathroom. It sounds like it's just that rounded edge. So it would be an artificial statement to make with paint to kind of draw a line. Not to mention the fact that you'd better draw that with perfection. Otherwise, it's going to look wavy and ripply. In your case, I would be more apt to go with a neutral throughout because of the bathroom specification and do that bold splash of color either in the drapes or the area rug, or the bedding, in these different places that don't have to also be represented in the bathroom. You know, you can use small touches of color in there through the artwork, or the bath mats, or the hand towels, but that's not going to cast that glow on your skin like a teal or navy would. And you know, I particularly like to avoid any shades of green in the bedroom, because those cast a pallor on your skin that makes you look a little sickly. And even if you're not in the bathroom, in the bedroom, and I'm you know, I'm very open-minded, so I may be incorrect here, but I'm just going to assume that you do see a lot of skin in a bedroom too, if you're doing naked activities. Let's be vague, but at the same time specific. If you're doing those naked activities, you don't want your skin to be looking green uh, with this reflection from the paint color. I would much prefer you do that neutral or even a blue, but greens, yellows, they do cast somewhat of a sickly glow on skin. That is my opinion. I hope that has helped with your conundrum. And let me get to my last question here. My last question comes from Madison. She writes, Betsy, I'm still in college and I'm decorating my first apartment, but I am definitely on a super tight budget. Where should I spend the money I have to get the most bang for my buck? Well, Madison, it depends. Are you in a dorm where you already have those primary pieces of furniture that have been chosen for you? Those kind of stock pieces that we then build around? Or is this your first apartment? Yes. Okay. I think you made it clear. I think it's your first apartment. I'm going to assume that it is since that's the wording that you used. And I'm going to tell you that the main place to put your budget is in a sofa. That's where your friends are going to be hanging out. If you're anything like me, you're going to watch some TV. Uh, you might even do your homework on the sofa because you maybe um, don't use a desk. So many of my clients now tell me, Betsy, we don't work at a desk anymore. We prefer that casual environment of a laptop. Um, so I would say the sofa is the most important place to put your money. That being said, you don't have to spend a ton on a sofa because – at least for me, when I was in college with my first apartments, I was quite transient. With every lease, I was moving to a new place. And very rarely did I want to pay to have movers take those pieces with me. I was very noncommittal about my furniture at that time. And uh, dumpster diving was definitely 
my number one place, uh, my number one store or retailer, if you will, for finding great deals. But I wouldn't necessarily recommend that now if I knew what I knew then about bed bugs and other vermin. I probably would have stayed away from the New York City dumpster diving. Rather, I would have shopped at places like Macy's, which has IKEA prices, but much better quality. You can peek at IKEA, but there's only a couple of sofas that I like there, one being the Ektorp, which is a total classic. I've been using for nearly a decade. So Macy's, Ikea for that sofa. For smaller things like end tables, I would be looking at places like Wayfair, Overstock, in college, and even a little beyond. I love shopping for cool accessories at PBT or Urban Outfitters. Um, In terms of dressers, this is where it gets tricky because you do want some quality, but you really don't want to drop a grand, which is generally what you're going to have to pay if you want a good quality pre-assembled dresser. In that case, I would be looking at the Malm from Ikea, or I'd be looking at the Hymnus, which is also at Ikea. You will have to assemble those, and you'll want to make sure to pick a friend who's sober and who's mildly handy to be assembling those because dressers are quite complicated, right? So don't hire this person with a case of beer and a pizza and expect that it will turn out well. Instead, either hire a real handyman or find someone slightly more reliable. Um, But yes, that would be my recommendation for those primary pieces. So Madison, I hope that helped. Good luck in college. Um, You're probably moving again this summer. So Keep in mind that frugalness is key uh, when you're moving into a place that you may not know if those pieces are going to fit with you later. All right, guys. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you as always. Again, today, just today, we emptied the mailbag. So if you have questions, do not hesitate to email me at betsy at affordableinteriordesign.com. In the coming weeks, we are going to be featuring designers from my firm, Affordable Interior Design, doing a designer spotlight for, I think, the next six weeks where we will feature a new designer. We will be having her answer your questions. Additionally, she will be giving some of her favorite trends and tips and telling you a little bit about her background. I just thought it would be a fun way to get different design perspectives because believe it or not, we don't always agree. So stay tuned because during those designer spotlights, I'll let them answer your questions first and then I'll weigh in with my take and we'll see, we'll see how often they overlap. So stay tuned until next week. Bye. asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S. 
links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. Follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.